In this edition of Hoopsology, we first welcome college basketball reporter Isabel Gonzalez back onto the show to talk about the New Mexico Lobos men's basketball team, new head coach, and we discuss New Mexico's representation in the upcoming summer the basketball tournament. Then Matt presents his trending topics, and the hosts discuss if the Suns, Jazz, or Denver Nuggets can make a serious playoff run, and why the Brooklyn Nets are not the villains of the NBA. And now, Isabel Gonzalez. Isabel Gonzalez is a reporter for the Layer New Mexico and writes for Mid-Major Madness, which is hosted by SB Nation. Welcome on to the show, Isabel. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Really, really good. I'm um, really looking forward to this chat. Um, we, we chatted last year right at the, like, the beginning of the pandemic, and I, it yeah. was kind of a somber chat in terms of what we were talking about. There was no sports going on. We didn't know how long COVID was going to occur. Uh, this time it seems like things are a lot better. So since our last conversation, I just wanted to get your overall thoughts in terms of yourself. How has it been covering just college hoops overall? I know that's a big statement, but if you can just summarize in terms of just you personally yourself of covering the athletes from basically last year in regards to the tournament being canceled to now um, actually having a March managed tournament, what has it been for you? Well, like you said, it's the complete opposite of, the last time we talked um it's been interesting because obviously none of us have really experienced anything like this before um but you kind of just adjust everything's just virtual now so you don't get to do the same stuff as before where it would be you know you would go to practices and you would get to just see the guys and then talk to them you know even like small talk right now everything's through zoom which um you kind of just get used to after a while but honestly for me personally i'm just grateful that i got to cover it because going from no sports to something like you kind of just you know you take what you can um so i was happy i got to cover the lobos again and with the ncaa tournament that was really cool it was actually my very first time covering it fully um and of course it was different as like any other experience would be because everything was through zoom but you still feel like you get to know a lot of people like that because you're constantly going to like pre-game press conferences and then post-game press conferences and then just random ones during the week so it's been fun. It's interesting. Um, it's convenient because you get to be, you know, at home um, and you just, you know, switch your tab and then you're in another meeting. But it's it's been interesting. So um, Matt and I, uh, we live in New Mexico and Isabel covers the New Mexico Lobos. So forgive for a little bit of the local talk, but um, we got to discuss what's going on with the Lobos basketball team and specifically um, the hiring of Richard Bertino as the next head coach. But before we get to him, I kind of want to recap Paul Weir's tenure as the head coach of the Lobos. I remember when he got hired, and Matt and I were on this text thread with some of our friends who went to New Mexico, and I remember one of them um, just stating like he was really excited for Paul, Paul Weir because he was the head coach for the Aggies, New Mexico State Aggies, and he was successful there, and he's going to bring that to the Lobos, and it seems like it didn't work out. So he kind of tell the listeners and viewers what went wrong with uh, Paul Weir's tenure um, with the Lobos. To be honest, I feel like a lot of it, he was just very unlucky with a lot of the stuff that happened. Cause you know, you had um, that one year where like Lyle was going to be, you know, the star player and it, he ended up getting injured right before the season started. Um, and then with the whole cotton bag thing, um, like a lot of that stuff with those two players who got suspended Um that's something that was not on the court sort of thing. And it's something that took forever to kind of get resolved. So for him, a lot of things that, I mean, yes, sure. He could control some of it, but a lot of it, he couldn't. And even this year, honestly, with the pandemic, um, I've talked to a lot of former Lobos and just other players. Um, and they said that it really does matter when you have your own practice area, when you get to go shoot around whenever you can, you know, whenever you can fit it in um, and just sleeping in your own bed. So Paul Weir had a very difficult challenge this year. Not only was his roster, you know, very young, but also just the whole pandemic thing. Like that's something nobody could have planned for. So um, I think he's a great guy. I feel like a lot of things, we didn't really get to see what a normal year would have been for him. But um, now I feel like, okay, well, he's gone. And I feel like New Mexico fans just needed energy again, like new energy, just a fresh start. So I love Paul Weir. I think he's a nice guy. But yeah, now it's time to you know, start over. So now I guess we can um, dive into Richard Pitino, Justin, unless you wanted to dig in into Paul Weir's tenure a little bit more, but um, go ahead. 
yeah, just one more question. Um, yeah. Just considering what, what it's just the weird circumstances of this season, do you think they should have just given Paul Weir another year just considering this insane season? I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Isabel, but I believe they played maybe one game at the pit or, I mean, very sparingly there or not at all. Oh, geez. Okay. So, yeah, not at I, all. so I mean, they're playing in a completely you know foreign place this regular season. I, granted, their record was terrible, but still, I mean, they had a lot of challenges. Um, do you think it was just the pressure from the fan base? I mean, the fans are brutal here in New Mexico that they, they, they want excellence. Do you think it was a situation that's appeasing those fans or do you think – it just cut some guys some slack due <laughs> to this season just being completely bonkers and insane in terms of all the circumstances the players and the coaches had to go through. Yeah, me personally, I think it would have been good for him to get that extra year just because this was such a crazy year that you couldn't really, he couldn't control anything. And they got to practice a couple of times at the pit, but most of the time they were not here. They were somewhere else. And I remember when they were in Texas at first, um, they were sharing that, um, court with you know obviously the teams there but it was like the volleyball team so their practice time was very limited they could go and practice but they didn't have that extra time of like okay you can go lift now you can go shoot around um, so that obviously is something that you need if you have a lot of like freshmen and sophomores and even just transfer guys you know you need to adjust to like Paul Weir's system and he he uses a pit a lot like as you know um, guys run up and down the stairs and it's they have routines so I feel like yeah those routines were obviously very interrupted um the women's team got to play two games here but the guys didn't so uh, me personally I feel like he should have probably gotten another year um but I've also had talks with like other media members and just other people involved in the program and um a lot of it also comes down to just like fan excitement because at the end of the day it is kind of a business so they weren't sure how to bring the fans kind of back you know like Sure, some of them were like, yeah, I'll support Paul Weird. And some others were just like, oh, man, the program hasn't been good. So it, it goes back to that whole fresh start. You know, it gets people excited again. But me personally, another year. But at the end of the day, that's kind of how I went. No, I agree with you, Isabel. And I mean, last year, you know, and, and Justin, you know, from our group chat, like I was referring to the Lobos as the Lubbock Lobos. It, it really, you know, it's it's demoralizing to be playing out of state um, any way you slice it. I mean, it's it's going to be full of distractions, as you mentioned. It's You're not sleeping in your own bed, like you said. That affects the team. What, what do you get the sense was about, I mean, I know you mentioned, and I think it's a fair point, um, that, you know, we need to bring excitement back to the fan base. I think a lot of schools could relate um, given just the fallout after the pandemic and all that, I think everyone is is kind of in that place to an extent. But do you think the fans were maybe more understanding of Paul Ware and the struggles that he had last year compared to maybe like another coach? You know, I think of like when uh, I'm going to date myself here, but when Richie McKay was kind of pushed out of the Lobo coaching job and there was kind of, you know, there there's always anger and excitement and passion around the Lobos, uh, which is part of what what makes them such a great team to follow. But do you think there was more understanding for Paul Ware or some resentment from the fans uh, with his situation? How do you think that went down? Um, I think the major factor there was that it wasn't his first season um, or his second. You know, it was um, his fourth. So I think a lot of it came down to that. It was a couple of disappointed seasons. You know, the first one was um, he more than met expectations you know it was like very surprising at the end but then second and third there were a couple things that you know just didn't go right um towards you know middle end of the season so because of that I feel like fans were a little bit less likely to kind of cut him some slack um not because this year wasn't difficult but just because you know after a couple years with the program they felt that he needed to have developed something a little bit more um even honestly like with the young guys um they said, well, as a coach, you're supposed to develop players, you know? So if there was a lot of um, roster changes and stuff, that in a way it comes down to him. Um, and even motivating guys, there was a lot of like, um, obviously the guys were going to be kind of more stressed out, just traveling everywhere and stuff. But just getting the guys to really buy in. I feel like they, a lot of the times fans didn't really know what was going on with the team. So they wanted probably to motivate the team a little bit more. Because a lot of times they look just very tired and defeated. So it, it came down to, okay, other years didn't go as well, and this year didn't go well. So at what point do we end this? 
Gotcha. Um, Isabel, I want to kind of talk about what Richard Pitino is going to bring to the Lobos. Uh, he comes in with a lot of fanfare. I noticed in his press conference, he reminded me a lot of Steve Alford in the same charisma. Even on Twitter, people were comparing him to Steve Alford in terms of kind of similar circumstances at previous colleges they coached at. Came so, from the Big Ten. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's your opinion of him? And then is there an ultimate fear that this could turn into another Alfred situation? I, I never forget the press conference when Alfred moved to UCLA and the, the media members were questioning him in regards to, you know, he wasn't able to get the job done and going to the, the Sweet 16. And he felt like, you know, the media members and the fans were kind of ungrateful. It's like, I won you a bunch of conference titles. I did this and did that. And I guess my main question is, does Richard Pitino know like a conference title and regular season or the tournament, it's not going to get it done. That basically, it's the Sweet 16 or bust. I mean, is, it, does he understand kind of that ramification, or do you think he he has that old school mindset of this winning conference championships? Um, I, I think he knows uh, what level fans are like. Um, I feel like everyone in the nation kind of knows New Mexico is a basketball state, like no matter what. Um, and of course, his dad obviously can mentor him a lot and he's talked to other coaches like Mark Few who obviously you know took Gonzaga from just a tiny little school to like what they are right now um so he does have all those people around him that are probably going to advise him um in the best possible way and he probably understands that yes Mountain West is good but he during that first press conference that introductory press conference he talked about winning like he knows that New Mexico fans want to win um they want to be on the map and he reminds me a lot of Coach Gonzalez, the football coach, Danny Gonzalez. Um, they both know what New Mexico fans are like, and they know that they have to really push hard. They have to go above expectations if they want to you know, keep everyone happy. And Oh, go ahead, Matt. I, I was just going to ask real quick. Do you think the na- having the name Patino is more of a blessing or a curse for him coming into this situation? I, I, I go both ways on this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I feel. Because, of course, there's always like, oh, man, there's high expectations. But at the same time, like, um, maybe it's good. I, I feel like he embraces those high expectations. Um, and it seems it, it's funny because he started like a little rivalry with that, you know, like, oh, he's afraid of coming to the pit. Um, so he's taking it very lightly. You know, he's just like playing around with it. He's trying not to get that pressure to get to him. And I'm sure he's used to it by now. So I guess that's good and bad. <laughs> What do you think he's going to bring in terms of recruits? Do you think he's more of a coach that's going to focus on outside talent from the state of New Mexico? Or do you think he might focus on um, some of the rising prospects within the state of New Mexico? Because I remember with Alfred, one of his greatest strengths was, you know, taking a lot of the players that was already recruited by the previous coach and really maximizing their talent. Um, And then eventually he got his own guys um, on the team. So what do you think Patino's is going to bring in regards to recruiting? What was interesting about just seeing Patino during that introductory press conference was that he hadn't really talked to the players yet. Um, He talked to the players right after that press conference. Um, and obviously things happen very quickly, so it's not good or bad. It's just how it went. Um, so I saw him just approaching them very casually, asking them where they're from and everything. Um, and a couple of players were in there. They were out of town for like spring break and stuff. So right now he's gotten a little bit more time to talk to those guys, see if they will be a good fit. Um, but he made sure he told everyone that not because he didn't recruit them meant he didn't want them. So I think he is trying to keep some of those guys. He, you know, like a Chamalawatch would be such a great guy to have come back. I don't know how likely that is, but I'm sure he's aiming for that. You have Byron Matos, who has a lot of potential, um, you know, as a big. So I think he's going to try to get some of those guys. And um, Eddie Nunez said that this coach that he was going to hire was going to be all about developing talent. Um, Because with Paul Weir, there was a lot of, you know, changes, like guys coming and going. So I think now they're focusing on that, like, hey, we want to develop guys. So we either keep the ones we have or we get the right guys that are going to grow with our program. Because at the end of the day, it is more difficult if you're just getting, you know, a transfer guy and then someone else transfers. And if your roster keeps changing every year, it's hard to get your identity to really stick and even the culture. Um, Isabel, I want to shift gears and focus on the NCAA tournament as a whole. Um, And there are several different um, aspects of the tournament that stood out to me and one was the disparity with the women's tournament and the men's tournament and i just want to get kind of get your thoughts in terms of 
the beginning story of you know the weight room controversy to the national title game in which the women's um, title game averaged more ratings and was like the most watched women's title games of 2014, while the men's ratings dipped. And I want to make clear that I think the men had higher ratings, but I guess the, the, the women saw a bigger increase in ratings than the men's tournaments. So what was your overall thoughts of just both tournaments overall? And, and moving forward, I, you know, post-pandemic era, do you think we might see that disparity decrease in terms of attention for the women's tournament and also just in terms of opportunities for those um, female athletes as well? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's, you know, very unfortunate that even though we've known about these issues for so long, that they hadn't really done much about it. Because um, this is not anything new. I feel like all of us kind of knew stuff like that was happening. Um, but the fact that, you know, it took a player to really show um, how different they were being treated. That's very sad um, because it wasn't a surprise. I think we all knew the women's teams, sometimes they don't get as much support. And a lot of the times it's, you know, people are like, oh, well, people don't watch them as much. It's like, well, why would you, you can't really watch them as much if they don't get as much attention, you know, as much TV time. Um, even sometimes like on their social media accounts, you know, like some people, um, some schools don't even really have SIDs just devoted to them. So that's very sad. And I hope since this tournament really, um, it was shining a light on it a lot more. I hope that does change, you know, for the next tournament. I hope that doesn't happen anymore. Um, that would be really sad because it means, you know, they didn't learn the lesson. And it took other people to kind of like step in and be like, hey, NCAA, like we can help you. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was their job. Um, and it's really cool because I actually love that. Um, I, I don't cover women's basketball as much just because I ended up going more on the men's track. But I was watching that game, um, that championship game. And it was so much fun. Um, women's basketball is really cool because, Obviously, they're very talented, but also they go back to a lot of the basics for basketball, like just their technique and stuff. So it's a more pure sort of basketball sometimes. And I enjoyed it. So I hope those ratings keep going up. I hope they keep getting that support. And, you know, they should be treated equal. Isabel, um, I want to ask you about a, a story that could be a huge story for the state of New Mexico and something that I didn't know about until way later. And I felt kind of embarrassed because we actually had the, I think, the founder of the basketball tournament on our show last summer and realized that New Mexico is getting their own team. So I was like, holy smokes. And then I saw your conf the conference call with all the players on there. I was like, oh, man, it's on now with all these guys agreeing to be on this team. So can you shed some light as to, you know, what was the genesis of this? And then how the team is progressing now, um, just with the pandemic, you know, travel's more difficult. Like, basically, take us behind the curtain in terms of how this, um, the basketball tournament representation from New Mexico um, when first got started. So, obviously, New Mexico fans, like, they follow their alumni everywhere. Um, they cheer on them in the NBA, overseas. They're always so happy for them. So, it, it was kind of a no-brainer to have this happen. It just nobody had really done it. But Brandon Mason, um, if you know him, he's like, he just talks to everyone. He's the friendliest person ever. Um, so he was in contact with all these guys. Like they have a million group chats where they just joke around about whatever. Um, and he had all this extra time. So he was like, hey, you know what? New Mexico deserves this. Um, Mason loves the state of New Mexico. So he thought, hey, why don't we do a New Mexico alumni team? And it wasn't just, you know, um, Lobos, but a couple Aggies as well. But that's kind of how it came together. He was like, hey, why not? You know, like, I can do this. I have everyone's number. Might as well just text them. So that's kind of how it started. He just texted people, and everyone was so excited because um, even, like, Anthony Mathis, you know, he left to a bigger conference. Um, and playing with the Ducks, of course, that was really fun for him. But he, when he talked about fans, he kept referring back to local fans. He said that was the best he's ever, like, seen just when it comes to fans and arenas and energy. So all of those guys kind of felt the same when I talked to them. I was like, yeah, of course I want to play for Lobo fans again. Um, it's an easy choice. Um, and right now with the pandemic, of course, they couldn't just meet. Um, and a lot of them have contracts like overseas and they're doing a lot of stuff. So they, they were going to wait a little bit longer, you know, till like this summer to kind of get together. But um, they do talk, of course, they have like their group chats. They were going to create like a bigger group chat just so everyone, everyone got to know each other because some of those guys never played together. But yeah, it's all... They, they all kind of already have that tie, which is, you know, their love for the game and the love for just New Mexico overall. So, yeah, like that's how they're going to proceed. They're going to keep talking to each other. And yeah. What is that going to be like Lobos and uh, the Aggies teaming up? It's like cats and dogs 
being friends. <laughs> so that's yeah. just a weird concept of them teaming up. How's that been so far? Um, at first, the name was going to be um, Love Alumni Team because there was a rule with the TBT where you had to have a certain percentage um, or a certain number of players from that specific school. But after a while, I think Mason was like, wait, we don't just have Lobo, so let's just do a New Mexico team. Um, and now it's the Enchantment team, so they can represent that entire state as a whole. And I think the guys seem pretty happy. Um, there's, it's mostly Lobos. So, of course, there's going to be a little bit of like a rivalry there, but not really. After all, you know, they're, they're all a team, and I think they're all going to be just excited to play in a state where there's not that many professional teams. So they're just going to have all the fans come together. And that's going to be cool because it's a lot about fan support. You know, as you know, with the TVT, it's all about like social media and fan votes. So do you think these guys, and I realize it's fairly early, but we're talking earlier in terms of the specifically the Lobos not having the greatest history in the NCAA tournament. Is part of these players' motivation like, capturing some unfinished business like hey this is a little bit of a path for redemption it's the big elephant in the room in terms of New Mexico basketball of not getting to you know the, the, the sweet 16 and you know advancing in, in the TBT could be some redemption for that have the players really talked about that or they're not making that connection yet it's kind of too early um I haven't heard that but that's a very interesting point and I'm sure they kind of see it like that um when I talked to them it was about just proving the entire state that they could do it um because it was a lot of just love for the fans because when they're here, they're like celebrities. Um, they'll go to a grocery store and like someone will stop them like, hey, I saw your game last night. Great job. So they kind of were saying it was for them. It was like, hey, they supported us so much. We want that again. We want them to be cheering on us again. And we want them to know that we can put New Mexico on the map when it comes to basketball. Um, and of course, there's going to be NMSU and UNM represented, but it's I think it is more of like the fans as a whole and the start, entire state of New Mexico just paying back that support a little bit and like, hey, this is for you. Like NCAA tournament or not, like they probably just think about it as a whole. Plus um, the money. Gotcha. Of course. The money's going to be a huge <laughs> yeah. factor. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be incredible for the state and hopefully it gets the publicity that it deserves. I think that's my only concern since the tournament's kind of like a – not an underground, but even like basketball friends of mine have never even heard of the TBT. So that's my only fear that it's, it won't get that publicity like that first year, even if they do make a run. Cause I think these guys deserve a lot of hype and support from the community, no matter how well they do. I think they deserve that. So hopefully that does go down. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I think Mason knows that. Um, so when I ended up helping with that announcement video, um, so he understands this very well. Even when he was with the Lobos, he knew the importance of the social media for recruiting and even just for fan support to come to games. Um, so that's not really a concern for me. Like I know Mason's going to try to get it done. And they got like a couple of weeks ago, they got new social media people to help them with graphics and videos. So they're taking this very seriously. Um, they're trying to get the word out and they're trying to have, you know, good content, um, just quality content and Try to get people excited. They've been teasing things a little bit, even their social media stuff. Like they've been teasing that a lot. So I think they'll do well. And New Mexico fans are already super excited. So hopefully that just translates in the summer. Um, Isabel, final question, and then we'll let you go. Um, this is something that happened recently in terms of a law that was passed in New Mexico in regards to name and likeness of college athletes. And this is going to be a big um, issue in college sports in the United States. But this is happening here July 1st um, in terms of athletes actually being able to earn income off their name, image, and likeness. Um, it would make New Mexico and Florida um, the first to enact this law. So do you have any opinions of this law in, in regards to – the, the student athletes specifically uh, on, you know, the, the basketball side of things, do you think it's going to really change anything in terms of maybe even Richard Pitino's first season, or you think it's too early? I, have you heard of this law? And do you have any initial thoughts? Um, well, I, I'm not sure how it's going to change, you know, with Pitino and stuff, because obviously since it hasn't been done before, sure. um, it's hard to tell how it's really going to affect the roster, but I do agree with it. Um, I think the players put in so much work that, it's kind of unfair that their own image doesn't belong to them. So like one thing's like the salary stuff and then like that you could argue a little bit more yes or no. But when it comes to like using your own name and like making money because of your own person, um, it is unfair that someone else ends up owning that because um, people are making the argument like, well, if you're a musician and you get a music scholarship for a school, 
you can still write your own songs and you can get paid somewhere else. So why can't athletes do that? And in the end, like it's kind of their job. Like they work out all the time. They have to eat right. They have to like this year, they had to, you know, be in their own bubbles. So they deserve some of it. You know, if you're popular, why should your school get everything? You should get some of it. I agree. And especially now with the internet, that's a game changer because a lot of these athletes will, can have names before they even enter going into college from maybe having their own YouTube channel to having their own highlights to being you know popular on Twitter or any other social media platform. So I think this is awesome to see. I, I, I'm just wondering, do you think it's going to re affect recruiting? I know it's fairly early. I mean, we don't know how this law is going to um, have too much of an effect, but if you can, I guess, predict as best you can, if, if this goes well, could this be a positive in terms of attracting recruits um, just because, hey, they can come here and make that you know, extra money off their name and likeness compared to a, maybe a bigger college. But, you know, that source of revenue is cut off um, coming to New Mexico. There's that opportunity to make that money um, off your name and likeness playing for the Lobos compared to any other college. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I don't know all the specifics of how it's going to work, um, but obviously that would be huge because if you're player who already has developed a name um yeah like why wouldn't you come to a program where first of all you would probably be the main guy you know like if you are a star and you come here you're going to be an even bigger star you're going to be a god in new mexico and then you get paid for it like that'll be exciting so i think it could help there and i think the only maybe more difficult thing for like patino would be just make sure they still they stay focused on the game but at the end of the day, you already have like guys with big social media following and stuff. So it's not like those guys are not used to the attention. So it's it's going to be interesting. I'm really excited to see what next season is going to look like. I got one more question for you, Isabel. Um, we recently saw the transfer rules change and eligibility change for players. Uh, now players can transfer year round and they have instant eligibility at their new schools. How do you think that's going to affect the landscape of college basketball. And also, is this a potential uh, benefit or, or advantage for New Mexico as, as a team with a new coach coming in? I think the important part of like Patino's job will be kind of like what Nunez said, like it's all about development because with those rules, I think, yeah, of course, players are going to be able to just go anywhere and they have the right to, they, they should have the right to just do whatever is best for them and their future. Um, but if Patino can, you know, develop a culture and want guys to actually stay here and just stay in one program, like the whole four years, um, that'll be pretty big. So it's, like, it's, it's going to be an interesting rule, but in the NBA, you know, you have a lot of that as well. Like you have players one week in one team and then the next they're wearing a different Jersey. So it, it's going to take a little bit of adjustment. Um, and it's going to be difficult just to develop the playing styles, the identity of teams with so many people changing. But I think after a while, it'll just be a little bit more stable. And coaches are just going to have to focus on their own culture and, you know, trying to get guys to stay there. Because Gonzaga was successful because of that. Mark Few is known for, you know, developing players and the coaching staff. Like, he likes consistency. And I think that does help with, you know, success. But, yeah, you, you do have a chance of getting, you know, better players too. So, Isabel, um, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and also uh, where else they can also find your work as well. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at CIsabelG. Um, and my work is at thelairandm.com. Also, um, SB Nation's Major Madness and USA Today's uh, Mountain West Wire. So, yeah, go ahead and check all of that out. I do a lot of college basketball and a little bit of NBA stuff with like Mountain West alumni. So uh, follow me on Twitter and you can see all of that. Awesome, Isabel. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. I uh, really appreciate the chat. We'll definitely have you on, especially when the uh, TBT takes place. Um, love to get your opinions and just we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes this year. Oh, for sure. That'll be a lot of fun. And I'm constantly talking to Mason about what's going on there and stuff. So. Um, yeah, it'll be cool to just see how that goes. Yeah, for but sure. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Isabel. Awesome. Thank you, Isabel. Welcome to another edition of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas, man. What's up? Oh, man, nothing and everything. Same as always. Having a nice weekend. What's up with you? Nothing much, man. Uh, same old, same old. Um, just checking out these uh, WNBA uh, New Jersey's 
Uh, pretty cool. You know, we were into Jersey Talk on Hoopsology, just uh, chopping it up about uh, fashion. And um, certainly this caught Twitter on fire, the new WNBA jerseys. Do um, any one of them stick out to you that uh, I was like, man, I got to buy one of these or just, you know, you're thought, hey, maybe it's pretty cool. I Well, as you know, we, we talked about this before the show, but uh, I, I like the Atlanta ones. I like the pink and blue kind of color scheme, mm-hmm. a la the Miami Heat and their jerseys this year. Not quite the crazy, uh, you know, blurred old retro TV type of look that the Miami Heat had, but just the color scheme I, I thought looks really nice. Uh, what about you? Um, I, even though I'm not a big fan of the show, I thought the Indiana Fever, um, Stranger Thing jersey was pretty cool. Oh, um, cool. Really yeah. remind me, um, um, we had the guest on last year when we were just beginning Hoopsology, um, Sherlex. Um, I think he just, um, he's still pretty young. I think he's probably 18, 17, 18 at this point. Um, his graphic designs really remind me of those designs in terms of just going outside of the box um, compared to what you would see with the men. So hopefully, you know, I think both leagues, WNBA and the NBA, just go a little bit, you know, outside of the box with their jersey creations instead of just kind of, uh, I don't know, staying within just a particular framework, just doing something completely different. Because I think the Indiana Fever jerseys are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing too. They're a little busier, but the Chicago yeah. ones are kind of experimental, but yeah. didn't go so far that it's like crazy enough people wouldn't want to wear it you know mm-hmm. i thought those were really nice looking too yeah i think they are that's going to help them with the popularity of the league also from a fashion standpoint so um that's really big news regarding the WNBA. and uh, we'll have an upcoming interview with rachel galligan um coming up during i think the day before the WNBA draft so stay tuned for that on, on our youtube and our podcast feed as well. And if you're listening to the podcast feed, um, you just got done listening to Isabel Gonzalez of TheLayerNM.com. Also does some work with SB Nation as well. I um, really enjoyed the chat with her, discovering um, everything with the New Mexico Lobos, since that's where Matt and I live. Um, really insightful, not only that, but also college basketball and also the basketball tournament. So if you're a basketball fan and, you know, it's kind of the dog days of summer and not, not, not a lot going on in the basketball world, um, the basketball tournament is certainly going to keep your interest. And especially if you live in New Mexico, New Mexico is going to have a team uh, representative of not only the Lobos, but Aggies too, which um, I did not know that going into the interview with Isabel. So that is unheard of in terms of, you know, these two rival teams teaming up. I think it's really cool. And um, I, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, so much nostalgia. And of course, we wish the Lobos the, all the best in the upcoming season under new head coach Richard Patino. Sure. Uh, we need some good news in Albuquerque. So hopefully, uh, you know, in, in a couple of years or so, we can be back into wanting to go to the Mountain West Conference Tournament even more so uh, than we already do. For sure. Um, up on today's show, we'll have uh, mass trending topics in the NBA. And then we have just two topics for you, um, just discussing the top teams in the West. Um, surprisingly, the Phoenix Suns, Utah Jazz, and Denver Nuggets. And particularly the Phoenix Suns, are they a contender or pretender? So we'll break that down. And then also the Brooklyn Nets. For a team that's being portrayed as a super team with all the stars they have, they're not portrayed as the villain, at least on social media and within NBA fans. So we're going to kind of break that down as to why this team is not being hated, such as the Miami Heat or even the Golden State Warriors when they get Kevin Durant. So we'll break that down. But first, Matt, um, you have trending topics for this week. I sure do. Let's jump into the standings. We like to always look at what teams are streaking, and this is recorded on Sunday the 11th, just so you guys know. So if it changes, uh, when you look at the standings, don't blame me. Uh, Let's start in the Eastern Conference, as we always do. Uh, There are actually no teams right now that are trending up in terms of like three wins or more. We've got the Pacers, the Celtics, and the Hawks that have won their last two games. Trending down, though, we do have a few teams. The Bucks have lost their last three. 
Um, and then the Orlando Magic have lost their last four. Gee, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> looks like the plan to tank after the trade deadline is going well there in Orlando. So congratulations on that, I guess. Uh, moving out west, we have a couple teams uh, trending up. Or I guess, I'm sorry, just one team. Uh, I'm sorry, two teams trending up. The Nuggets have won their last eight so the addition of Aaron Gordon, for one thing, seems to have not been a disaster, to say the least. The Clippers have also won their last four. Um, trending down, we have three teams in the West. The Spurs have lost their last five. And then the Kings and the Thunder have each lost their last six. So in terms of win-loss, let's look at top four real quick in East Conference since we are getting closer to the postseason, there is a little bit more separation uh, between these teams as there has been in compared to how there has been in the past. So looking at the East, we have one, two, three, four, Sixers, Nets, Bucks, and Hawks. Hawks coming off the hot start, seven and three. Um, in their last 10. So they have jumped into the top four there. And there's a little separation now between them and the Hornets who are in five. Gosh, the the outlook of the East is so much different than it has been compared to last year. Uh, looking at the West top four, we've got the Jazz, the Suns. No, I'm not misspeaking there. In third, we have the Clippers. And in fourth, the Denver Nuggets. The Lakers are right behind the Nuggets in fifth. We obviously know about the injury concerns that they've had. Um, now to pull to some headlines that I jotted down over the course of the week. Uh, last night, Inez Cantor grabbed 30 boards. He's on the Trailblazers right now, if, if you didn't remember that. Um, grabbed those 30 boards against the Pistons. Um, in, in some worse, well, let me do more positive news first before we get to some injury news. Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr., Justin, uh, again, kind of one of our recurring segments, us trying to make each other feel old. Scotty Pippen Jr. has now declared for the NBA draft. He does not have an agent at the moment, but he's declared for the draft. Um, and then in other basketball news, kind of some fun news, Pau Gasol debuted for Barcelona this past week. He had nine points and four rebounds in his debut in 13 minutes of action for Barcelona. Um, some uh, on kind of the more negative side, but important news, James Wiseman, has a torn meniscus. Um, he was blocked and kind of landed awkwardly in transition uh, last night. And it, it has been confirmed he has a torn meniscus. Um, there's no definite timetable for his return, but he's likely out for the rest of the season, at least maybe potentially returning for the postseason. Um, and then the last bit of news I have listed here, Justin, is Patrick Beverly is likely to miss three to four weeks with a broken left hand for the Clippers. That's what I have in trends. Justin, did you have any any thoughts about recent NBA news, recent standings, et cetera? Um, just some late-breaking news that happened as with this recording. Um, the Nuggets actually, um, their winning streak has been snapped by the Boston Celtics. Huge win by Boston, um, 105-87. Um, and that, that was breaking, um, I believe, a couple of hours ago. So um, a huge win for the, the um, Boston Celtics. They, they know the wins they can get. So uh, that's a huge win for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, still impressive that the Nuggets had that eight-game eight sure. win streak. And I guess um, if you didn't have any other comments, that's kind of a nice segue into our our kind of main topic here is these teams leading the West, you know, three of the four top teams in the West are Suns, Nuggets, and Jazz. Jazz at the very top, Suns in second, and Denver in fourth. And I just kind of, you know, this has been on other podcasts. Uh, Bill Simmons talked about the Phoenix Suns earlier this week and their their chances, kind of his diagnosis of the team, I guess, and, and their title chances. I, do you see any of these teams as title contenders for one thing? And and let's just assume that things are a little bit up in the air right now as they are uh, with LA, uh, both teams in LA really, but especially the Lakers, the defending champs, things are a little bit shaky there. Um, so I guess, I mean, for one thing, can any of these teams beat a healthy Lakers team? 
And can any of the teams make the run as constituted right now? Yeah, good question. Um, I got a, a boring answer for you. I think it, it comes, we, we, know, we know what this comes down to, right, Matt? And, and what I'm thinking is when the Dallas Mavericks played the Miami Heat and the pressure is on Dirk Nowinski, right? The, the knock on him is that he never won a title. Is he a elite player, Hall of Fame player? And he proved that he was. And the bottom line for the Chris Pauls, Devin Bookers of the world, for Donovan Mitchell, the playoffs is you, it's where you get to prove that. It's where the you know you get to really show what you're worth. And right now, I personally don't know. For me, I trust the Denver Nuggets with their playoff experience. But we've seen them at the Utah Jazz. Those were extremely close games. I mean, they have a budding rivalry, and especially in the playoffs, it's going to be really heated. And Potential second-round matchup there yeah. as as the schedule lays right now. The, the massive question, I think, does someone goes for James Harden a little bit? I mean, I hope he protected because he has Kyrie, you know, because the team with the Brooklyn Nets, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. But – I think with Chris Paul, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, especially if the Lakers somehow don't have Anthony Davis or LeBron or one of the two. I think for him in particular, if the if the Suns do not go to the NBA Finals, uh, I think it's going to look badly on him. I think there's a lot of pressure on, on him in, in regarding the situation, even though when he was put on the Suns team, you know, who would have thought that they'd be the second seed? And I think that has a lot to do with him. He deserves a lot of the credit, but we all know – in this NBA Twitter space that, you know, it's about championships and about playoff success. It's not about your regular season record, despite how well they've done. So to me, in terms of a, if you want to talk about pretenders or not legit players, I like Donovan Mitchell reminds me a lot of Damian Lillard in terms. I think they're the same caliber of player. I think they're elite players in this league. I just think the the bottom line is that you got to go through LA and and with the Clippers, I think like Charles Barkley said, he made some comments kind of disparaging them. And while I won't be as harsh as Charles Barkley, I just think with the Clippers last year, I don't believe in them. And I think any of those teams, whether it's the Jazz, Suns, Nuggets, even Trailblazers, I think they'll be able to take the Clippers out in mm. a seven-game series. I really do. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes down to the Lakers, I don't think so. LeBron is just – he has that intangible – he's so diversified in his game – that's what makes him highly dangerous, and that's what makes his longevity um, so prevalent is that he can kill you in so many ways. He's not just a you know, a three-point shooter or a power scorer or just a passer. He can do it all, and he's a gigantic man. So um, I think because of that, because of his basketball IQ and along with Anthony Davis, they are extremely difficult to beat, not to mention how well they are defensively. And because of that, I don't see – any of those teams taking out the Lakers in a seven-game series. When it just comes down to the final possession with LeBron on Devin Booker, who's going to win that matchup? LeBron. When LeBron's on um, Donovan Mitchell, who's going to win that matchup? LeBron. As much as I love Damian Lillard, a game seven scenario with the Lakers um, against Portland, and who's going to be guarding Damian Lillard? It's LeBron <laughs> somehow, right? Unless there's a switch. I mean, LeBron's going to want that matchup, no doubt. And to me, I, while I, sal- I salivate and I want that matchup, I just can't bet against a LeBron James at that point. I mean, he's you can't doubt him anymore. And Kind of like all those years the Spurs were good, you know. Correct. You kind of had to check. You had to pencil them in until they were erased. Exactly. And not only that, the Spurs also proved themselves as a legit contender as well. These teams are unproven. We don't know what's going to happen in these high-pressure situations. It's different. The playoffs, it's just... It looks different. You know, it's kind of hard to explain, but the games feel and look different in the playoffs. Does that make any sense? It just has kind of – you feel the tension. You feel just the pressure that's happening, especially with fans. It's a different element. And I think especially with a, with a Booker or a Donovan Mitchell um, or even a Jamal Murray who was really good in the bubble, when it comes down to it, when, when it really – when you're facing the Lakers, I don't think – they just have the machismo to take them out. 
I, I just think that's what it comes down to. You got to go through the Lakers to go to the NBA Finals, and I just don't see it happening. Uh, th- what, what are your thoughts? I think we're probably both in agreement here, but uh, you know, I was high on Denver. I picked them as my one seed. Yeah, I like Denver too. Or the West. Yeah. So I think you and I probably agree. Tell me if I'm wrong. That of of Phoenix, Denver, and Utah, Denver has the best chance to dethrone the Lakers in the playoffs in a matchup. And they, you know, looking at the standings right now, and I know that we're several games out, you know, nothing's in stone yet, but Denver might get the chance to do that early on. Right now, it would be a four or five matchup. Denver would have home court against the Lakers if, if we look at how things are shaking out. So I, I do find that pretty interesting. I do think the Lakers are going to drop off a little bit more, which would mean as constituted now, if that happened, the Lakers would get the Clippers in the first round, which I, I think would be fantastic from a fan standpoint. That's a matchup that we wanted to have last year. But let me kind of shift gears and ask you another question about the postseason, because sure. I, I think one of the teams that nobody wants to see in the first round uh, would be the Dallas Mavericks uh, with Luka Doncic just going off seemingly every night He's a real threat, I think, and he's a real threat to that team who is the two seed right now, the Phoenix Suns. Could you see some upset potential there, some volatility in a matchup of the Suns versus the Mavericks, or do you think the Suns are too deep for and the Mavericks may be too young right now to be able to pull the upset? The bottom line with that question is Kristaps Przingis. It comes down to him. That's a huge question mark, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've I've been on his bandwagon ever since he played for the Knicks. I like his game. Me too. And people were kind of – they hate on him because he doesn't play in the post. I totally get what they're saying, but I really like what he can offer. But he's injury prone, and his consistency has been in question. And I don't think Luka can just do it by himself. And if it comes down to Luka being hurt – I'm sorry, not Luca. I'm sorry, Christoph Porzingis being hurt or injured or being inconsistent. I don't think Luca could do it alone, despite how I think he's fantastic. Um, as we've seen in the NBA, and this has proven to be true, one guy can't win you the title. It's impossible. I don't care what guy it is. We've seen it very closely. Um, I believe Allen Iverson was celebrated on ESPN a couple of days ago. Allen Iverson tried his damnedest. Um, in that 2001 year to get Philly. It was great. Yeah. It he, was great to watch. He but did, yeah, it yeah. was exhausting too. Yeah, ultimately he came up short. And you know why? Because of, you know, Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> and really they have that, they talk about that one game, but ultimately the Lakers handled the 76ers pretty easily in that NBA Finals. So you need depth and you need at least two to three all-stars just to have a shot at making a deep playoff run. And to your Mavericks um, question, if Porzingis is playing consistent and he's healthy, yeah, they're an absolute threat, 1,000% for the upset. But if Porzingis is inconsistent or hurt, I think it will be relatively an easy five to six games for whoever faces them in the first round. Yeah, it's so interesting because Luka is in a much different way, but offensively, you know, I see him as like a more versatile version of LeBron James, especially at this age, this stage in his NBA game and his NBA career. You know, he's a guy that you insert into any roster. I don't care what team you are and you have instant offense, you have instant creativity. You have instantly a guy who can create open shots. His teammates around him are, you know, so, so shooters. They, they're missing, I think Seth Curry, who's now a sixer of course, but I, I do see that team as maybe the most likely to make a first round upset. Uh, you know, I, because I don't think if Portland's a lower seed, I don't think anyone's going to consider it an upset. If like Damian Lillard takes out, say like the Clippers, if, if things were to play out right now, you know, that would be again, another great first round matchup given the beef with Paul George and Damian Lillard last season, you know, that's, that's maybe really a non beef at this point, but um a lot of interesting, intriguing matchups there. I just personally, I it it's almost condescending to say, but if, you know, I see the Jazz and the Suns at the top of the standings, and I'm like, oh, that's so cute. But <laughs> we got we got to see if the Lakers are healthy. You know, bottom line, that's that's what we're all kind of as basketball fans waiting to see. 
Yeah, I like their talent for sure, and I don't think their flashes in the pan. I think yeah. the Suns' rise was inevitable, and I think that speaks to Chris Paul as well. I just think, again, we know who's elite players in this league, and I think I, it's one of those things where the topic of ring chasing and championships defining a player, I don't think, I think it's overblown. I think it's performance in clutch situations. And Charles Barkley gets knocked as not having a championship ring. However, you can't really knock his track record in the you know NBA Finals, right, or in the playoffs. He performed wonderfully. So at this point, I think you can cut him some slack in terms of, hey, you know, you just ran into Michael Jordan. And sure, where I knocked players is when they don't perform in high-pressure situations in the playoffs in the NBA Finals. That's where I think you should be, can be scrutinized because that's where your legacy is set, not the regular season. I mean, you can have all the records you want, but not having those titles and not performing when it matters to most is going to be a huge knock. And I think for a lot of these players, they relish that. I think Damian Lillard is starving for that. I think he is the most hungry player in the league. He, You see, he wants it so badly. I think other mm-hmm. players may not show it, but at least in terms of showing it on the court, he desperately, desperately wants to um, ultimately be a champion. And I think you see that. I just think the team around him, I just don't think the Portland Trailblazers have enough to have a long, sustained run. Um, and to your point, Matt, one more thing, and, and I'll pass it over to you. With Porzingis, even yesterday, um, he put up 26 and 17 against Milwaukee Bucks. That's what. That's how the Mavericks are a threat. They beat the Bucks um, facing them, and um, you know, granted, Giannis didn't play, but you can see still 17 boards. You see the urgency's there, and even with Giannis, those rebounds are probably going to decrease. But if he's still getting, you know, 26 and eight with a um, Giannis on there, still, I think that poses the Mavericks to be a huge threat, and. If we see Przingis continue to have that level of consistency, yeah, they are going to be a problem for a lot of these teams that might be an experience as being a top seed. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I I agree with everything you said there. I think there's no more likable player in the NBA right now than Damian Lillard. I I couldn't care less about the Trailblazers. Nothing nothing against Portland. I just have no experience <laughs> there. Uh, in in my personal life, but you see the work that Damian Lillard puts in. And I I think any NBA fan, you would want that player in your franchise. You would want the same effort, the same dedication to a franchise that Damian Lillard is giving to the trailblazers. So in terms of like Q score in the NBA, I mean, uh, Damian Lillard has to be right at the top right now in, in my opinion. Uh, And maybe, you know, given, those those things you mentioned in past success and level of effort, things like that, that we look for that maybe players do deserve to be criticized. Um, and this might be a good segue transition point for us into our next topic. Sure. You look at a guy who has struggled with that and uh, look no further than James Harden, a guy who is playing insanely good basketball right now in the regular season for the Nets. But I, I just kind of wanted to bounce this topic around. You know, we're let's let's just call it as it is. It's it's a little bit of a slow time in the NBA. You know, teams are getting their battle formations ready for these playoff matchups. This is what happens every year after the All-Star break. It gets a little bit slower. We start to set up and see how these matchups are gonna unfold. One one thing that's frustrated me all season, I guess, and and not that I, I don't have any ill will towards any of these players like truly i am a basketball fan i want to see players succeed i i don't really root for players to fail for players to fall flat on their face when they're trying for things even james harden who left houston kind of unceremoniously let's be honest the start of the season was rough for him from a pr standpoint and again we can go back and forth all day about the issues with the franchise etc people are going to feel differently about that and that's justified uh certainly but one of the things that i wanted to kind of dive in with you today is when we look at let's just compare super teams here because i think one of the most vilified was certainly the miami heat and a lot of that obviously has the cult of personality and the negative association with the decision 
decision, however you want to, yeah. uh, however you want to call it. You know, of course, I think most people, myself included, who I was, I was a huge LeBron James fan at the time. From a PR standpoint, that was criticized, uh, and I, I think rightfully so. But we we haven't gotten the same thing from the Brooklyn Nets and how this team has formed. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, are we just in a different place as basketball fans? Are we desensitized to the idea of super teams? Um, and again, I, I don't even want to present like an old school get off my lawn type argument about player mobility and things like that. As you know, like I was fully in support of LeBron James going to the Miami heat. I was a supporter of that. Um, but it, it seems to me like also there's, there's maybe a negative benefit to not having the nets be treated as a villain in potential interest in the league and the potential for ratings. Like um, give you an example, but, and I'm sorry to ramble, but before I toss it to you, there was a whole, page you probably remember this on espn's website called heat index that was like everything miami heat related it was this whole page and it played into this idea of man you love or hate this team you're gonna click on this link and see what's going on with them and i just wanted to get your thoughts on why we haven't had a similar response for the nets um I would say I mostly agree with you. I slightly agree, disagree in regards to the villain aspect just because we've seen some villainous, I guess, characteristics in terms of how hardcore NBA fans take them. So what I'm thinking of is Kyrie Irving, right? He's not the most well-liked. People don't like him. I mean, even the game, I believe, today or yesterday, he, or I think coming up, um, he's not going to play due to personal reasons. He's taking lots of time off. To various reasons, whether you disagree with her or not, um, there's he's been extremely polarizing. James Harden's extremely polarizing. Blake Griffin has been polarizing, especially you know his time in Detroit. He had no dunks, and now all of a sudden in Brooklyn, he's dunking like he's back in you know Los Angeles. So thank goodness, <laughs> that's my I, favorite part about the Nets. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's a situation in which I believe it has a lot to do with no fans being in the stands. I think them not having just that constant booze in terms of just think of the games, right? Just Brooklyn going to Houston, you know, they're going to boo James Harden. Um, Brooklyn going to Cleveland, you know, with Kyrie. Brooklyn going to Golden State with the fans, right? That's a huge factor in terms of just gardening hate because you have the home court just booing the other team. That's instead, such a have, great point. I didn't even think about uh, no in-person fans. Yeah, you you have limited to no fan interaction, and so it's just another game. So there's only so much noise that can be heard on social media in terms of when the Miami Heat were going on, they were getting booed and hate on every single arena. So it was easy for your local sports broadcast to have, hey, here's the hate of Miami Heat. They're getting booed all the time. So I think that has a big reason for it, and but. I don't necessarily think that they're just a squeaky team, squeaky clean team either. You know, they have a lot of superstars, sure. and I don't think they have really enamored themselves to the NBA space as a whole. And not to mention, if they lose, I think they're going to garner lots of hate as well. I think with the Miami thing, why that team was so villainous was for a couple of reasons. You had not only LeBron, but Chris Bosh as well. Chris Bosh was with the Toronto Raptors for a long time. The Raptors were just suffering from the whole Vince Carter debacle. I believe Chris Paul was seen as a glimmer of hope for the Raptors being a championship team one day. Mm -hmm. And for him to leave and for LeBron to leave in the way LeBron did, and not to mention these three guys being friends, especially D-Wade and LeBron, it, it casts him as this villainous team. It's like, hey, these guys are leaving their hometown teams. How dare they? Especially with the Cavaliers and the Toronto Raptors. Those are very underdog teams within the NBA. And going to Miami with Pat Riley, who's I would consider not villainous, but certainly an antagonist in the league. And also Miami being successful fairly recently back then of winning an NBA championship, even though the team was made up with different players. So I think back then the aspect of a super team was foreign. And I think also the, the way it unfolded made them villains 
As with Brooklyn, I think people were expecting it for months. Kevin Durant always wanted to play for Brooklyn. Um, James Harden, that was one of his teams as well. Um, with Kyrie Irving, I think it was always kind of inedible. And I, I don't know, the, the link between James Harden and Houston, that was a messy kind of divorce. And I think with Kevin Durant and Golden State, messy as well. And I just don't think Harden had that same. I don't know. We had, I think, uh, Greg Goods on the show months ago. He covers the Houston Rockets. And I know you talked about just that connection with James Harden and just those fans. But I don't know. Compared to LeBron and just Cleveland, it's just different. Like, they, they yeah. love him. He's hey, a child. Akron's native son. Yeah. yeah. He's a child of Akron. But it's for him to leave like that was brutal. So, again, I'm, I'm talking way too much. But I think the bottom line is that the circumstances are so different. And I think you're right, Matt. We're used to these super teams being formed. And, you know, um, I forget which guess it was. But I do think it kind of hurts the league in a way just to have all these guys on one team. And granted, I think there's a lot more. Um, the talent is more spread out. But I think with Brooklyn, I think it's a little bit ridiculous, <laughs> quite honestly, with all all these former All-Stars on one team. It's, it's a little much, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, I I want to be clear that I, I am very pro-player mobility. Like, if AD and Kyrie want to team up in – on the nets that's fine james harden too but at a certain point i mean you know we we talked about this a little bit last year during the bubble season and and the postseason is that i was i was really positive about the outlook of the league and kind of going back i even said this verbatim on the show like a league now of dynamic duos like you had you know paul george and Kawhi on the Clippers, you had LeBron and AD, um, as ridiculous of a pairing as, as that is, it still didn't feel quite as egregious to me because it's, it's like a dynamic duo type of thing. And again, maybe this is just like nineties bias. Cause we had Jordan and Pippen, you know, uh, we had like Elijah Wan and Drexler, you know, th- things like that. Um, but yeah, I, that, that's the thing that I, you know, when I'm thinking about the NBA on my own and the future of the league that I want to do well, something that doesn't sit right to me is, um, you know, these super teams where you're seeing in the regular season when you're trying to draw interest and your competitor is the NFL, yeah. where there's interest every single week in these games, uh, you know, of course, for many different reasons. But when you have a situation where you have a team on the nets where you look at their record with James Harden, in the lineup so kd or Kyrie resting and i'm sure this has changed since the last time i saw it but when i last checked it they were 27 and 6 if james harden was in the lineup not counting when both kd and Kyrie were in the line so like basically you take out kd or Kyrie, and this team is still set and we haven't even seen them go like full flip mode, what they're going to hit in the playoffs. I mean, it, we could see like video game levels of basketball when these guys all get together. Hopefully, knock on wood, everyone's healthy and good to go. And we get to see this play out in the playoffs. But I, I just see potential that, gosh, and I think you're spot on about your your point about not having in-person fans. But man, if we had... I remember, for example, having it circled on my calendar. This is the day that the Heat are playing the Cavaliers. And it was this huge thing, this huge event. And I was I was personally a little bit worried about like riots happening in the city and things like that because of the villain treatment that the Heat were getting. And I guess, you know, I, I don't think the Warriors, because they had success with KD at that point, I don't think we would get a spectacle like that. I think we may get a little bit of animosity, certain in certainly in like Boston Garden for Kyrie's return. We might get some of that in Houston, even though they've already done the video tribute for James Harden at this point, uh, which I think is another fascinating thing. But but you're right. I have, I'm curious to see how this evolves when we get to the playoffs and maybe you have a series against the Celtics. Maybe that's where we start to see some of the pushback against this team. And again, like I, it's, it's not like a good or, or bad thing in terms of these players as people, as basketball players, things like that. But I do think in terms of league interest, it can be beneficial to have a villain and to see that play out. Yeah. I think villains, 
kind of factor into top teams as well, like elite teams. And, you know, you saw with Golden State, and I think this would have happened with Kevin Durant not being on that team if, let's say, they just won the titles without him. I think eventually they would have probably evolved into a villainous team as well because people just, you know how people are just, oh, this team wins every year. This is hilarious with fans because you can't please them. So people want dominant teams and then when there's dominant teams, people hate it. And then when there's tons of parodies, like, well, let's eat. Everybody sucks, so it's just mediocre all the way around. Right. So, so we, like, we haven't had much parody in the NBA, let's be no. honest. Like yeah. kind of uh, through the 2000s, I guess, like 2000s through 2010, there was bit. a little bit more. But you look at the 2010 to 2020, it's been basically a story of who's LeBron playing. Yeah. That, that's been it. Mm-hmm. But I don't have too much to add on this, man. I just think – with this season, it's been so weird with the covers and stuff like that, and the fact that ratings have been down in the NBA. I mean, they haven't garnered that much interest, and I think that might play a role in also why they're not as villainous because they don't have that hook compared to LeBron and the Heat, and also personalities too. Like, you have Kyrie who really doesn't like talking to the media. James Harden is not the most compelling guy. Kevin Durant has beef with the media as well. I mean, the big story of Kevin Durant was him and Michael Rappaport. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's what I mean in terms of villainous activity. There you go, right there. Two villains, right there. In yeah. my <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, yeah. no, that's a great point, and and I think it it kind of begs the question: like, is it a chicken or the egg kind of thing? Yeah. You know, where is our ratings down because the Nets are this top team? Or is it the other way around that, you know, of, of course, you know, I, I still go back to the great conversation you had with Richard Deitch. I mean, you guys should oh. still check out that conversation, but Appreciate it. his thoughts on the multifaceted layer of ratings, TV ratings, and how this all played out, especially since last year, I, I think he had some of the most interesting perspective on that, that I've heard. So it, basically it just means it's really hard to pinpoint <laughs> this kind of thing. But yeah, be curious to see how it adapts and how in-person changes the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have no other thoughts on this. Did you, Matt? No, let's go ahead and wrap, man. Cool. Um, As always, you can get in touch with the show through social media. We're available on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook especially. We have been uploading all our video interviews. Please go check that out. There's a full um, archive of this video content in terms of our hot takes along with our video library as well. Um, And then, of course, our YouTube channel. Matt's been doing an awesome job with that. All of our interviews are on there, so please go check that out. And again, just want to plug um, just what's on deck for this week since we have recorded the interviews. Um, We have, as you already listened to, Isabel Gonzalez of The Layer New Mexico. Um, That's that's on our YouTube channel as well. We're going to have Matt Rodriguez of Ball is Life. We're going to have Steph Soto. Um, she is one of the most trusted voices regarding NBA Top Shot. And then we're going to have Rachel um, Galligan. Um, she is a women's basketball reporter and also has a podcast as well covering the WNBA. That's going to be up on Wednesday morning as well. Not to mention our archive. I could spend, you know, the last, you know, all this time talking about who we have. But I'll just go over recently who we've had. Um, Jake Fisher, um, author of Built to Lose. We've had Kelly Oubre Jun- uh, Sr., excuse me. Um, we've had um, Phil Doucette um, covering, again, NBA Top Shot. Um, Bajan Bain discussing the legacy of Elgin Baylor. Um, Jordan Liggins of the Spinster Podcast. That podcast is doing awesome. Please go check that out. So lots of great content. And, of course, this Lots of interviews with reporters covering the NBA. Um, If you want to talk about really any NBA city, we pretty much got you covered in terms of insiders in regards to those teams. Um, They got great insight and just check out our archives for those interviews as well. So, and guys, um, if, if if I can just add, if you enjoyed one of the interviews that you listened to from our show, we always put their social media contacts in our description. Please give them a shout out on social media, like send them a DM or uh, just shoot them, uh, you know, at them on Twitter, whatever the case may be. We want them to know that you enjoyed hearing their conversation with us, their insight that they're bringing to the show. We want to certainly have them back when the time is appropriate and be able to interact with them again. So we we appreciate that, and it helps the show a ton. So thank you guys so much for all your support, as always. Yeah. Agreed. Um, please uh, like this video and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And you can always send us feedback, Pod. 
pod at gmail.com and leave us a review on iTunes where we check out everything, positive, negative. We love your feedback. Um, so for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. Um, we'll see you next time and stay tuned for all our feeds um, for those interviews. It's going to be um, a pretty exciting week for Hoopsology. So we'll talk to you later. Definitely. Peace. Peace.